Welcome to Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, episode 45. We're talking Hunger Games, Mockingjay, part one. My name's Ali Montu, and I am joined, as always, by H.A. Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? It's going swimmingly. How are you, Ali? Swimmingly. Yeah, that is a nice, nice way of going. <laughs> it's going well. Um, pretty excited for this discussion. Pretty excited for this week. So in addition to Mockingjay, what do we have in our crossover chamber this week, Conrad? Uh, this week, we're pitting Katniss Everdeen against Sarah Connor and the question... Sarah Connor. Yep. The question uh, for the crossover is, who is the better instigator of a rebellion? No, man, I don't think we've ever come up with a better question, just in terms of how cool that question sounds. Um, You you just like the word instigator. It's clear. I do. I do. I love it. Instigator of rebellion. Um, And then we are talking about our top, to change things up a bit, (laughs) we're going to talk about our top five Thanksgiving or top five things to watch on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, that'll be a fun one. So, um, Conrad, getting into Hunger Games Mockingjay, um, where are you with this franchise? Have you read the books? What you think of the previous films? All that good stuff. Um, I did, and I think we should also say before we even get rolling oh, yeah. that this is, we are not going to do a spoiler-free review. We are just going to go all, all spoilers all the way. So... If you haven't seen Mockingjay Part 1 and you want to, press pause, go watch it, and then come back and listen to all the stuff we have to say. Um, And this will kind of spoil a little bit of what I have to say, but if you aren't a fan of Hunger Games Mockingjay and you don't necessarily want to see it, I'd say save it for a rental. Yeah, but don't go too far, Ali. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> Gotta save it for the review. Anyway, um, so in terms of my history of this franchise, uh, I read all the books, um, and I I have seen all the films up to this point. Um, I will tell you that um, I was was not planning to see this film until you made me see this film, um, <laughs> because. Um, Primarily, I think that out of the book series, that the Hunger the Hunger Games, the first book, was the strongest out of the trilogy, um, and then it, to me, just declines from there. The second book was passable, and I felt like the third book was just the weakest link, and really just felt very. It, it just felt a bit forced to me, mm-hmm. um, and that's generally how I kind of felt about these movies. But keeping in mind that the books and the films. They're not really, they're, we are not supposed to be their target audience. So these are books for teenagers and not really for adults. And And I do think that some of the way they are written and some of the way they are portrayed on on the big screen is trying to cater to those audiences. So, so with a grain of salt, I will say that. So I guess one thing to add in, um, I'm guessing we're not going to spoil the second half of the story of the book, uh, Mockingjay. Uh, no, of Be- course we are. We have to. No, we can't because uh, Why? Uh, Ali Matu has not read the book. Uh, <sighs> Ali, and- <laughs> then how can you even do this review with me? So here's here's how. Um, I. <laughs> oh, you are such a cheating cheater. Well, it, I, I had a decision point um, where once 
once and had an idea that we were probably going to review this for the podcast, um, I said, okay, now should I read the book or not? Now, where I'm coming from with this franchise is um, it was not on my radar at all um, up until the movie was about to come out. And then um, a lot of young people in my life uh, were reading this book or were talking about this book. And I saw the first film and I actually thought the first film was pretty interesting. And while in terms of a dystopian sci-fi story, it wasn't really, it wasn't much new or uh, there. Um, it was definitely picking up on um, what other dystopian stories and novels have done. What I thought was really cool about the first Hunger Games book is that element of reality TV mm-hmm. and the commentary on reality TV and how our lives have changed as a result and how the idea of celebrity has changed and how um, anyone can become a celebrity and how these things can be produced. And I, I thought Hunger Games was, had, a, had a lot to say about that and I really enjoyed that first movie. I didn't go and ba- – or I did actually pick up the first book and I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was as well written as as other stuff, so I never really moved forward with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw Catching Fire last year when it came out, and I thought it was, um, in some ways, uh, in some ways, a little bit of a better film than the first one. The first one felt a little frenetic in all its action sequences, um, and I thought it was a nice continuation. And I didn't end up reading the last book. Because I sort of wanted to have this discussion between you and me. As- uh huh. And, and I'm no, gonna it's- I'm gonna argue with you on that point. You didn't read the last book because you don't like to read, <laughs> or do- you don't have the time to read. I think that's a better a better I- synopsis. No, I do like to read. Uh huh. Um, I. I don't have as I don't read as quickly as you do, mm. and as a result, I have less time to read. I have to be pretty selective about the the novels that I pick up. Um, so I think there's a little bit of truth to all of those things. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just saying, don't make it like it was like your grand plan, my friend. No, it's more. I've got okay, your okay, number. It's not, it's not. It's not a grand plan. It is. <laughs> no, I, you it are is making 100%, me laugh a lot. <laughs> It's 100% and complete rationalization in retrospect. I will give you that. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought this would be cool for For, as someone who's read the books. Can we pause for one moment? Friend of the show, Randy, I would love to hear your commentary on this. Okay, you may may continue. (laughs) Friend of the the show and anyone who's a friend of Ali will have a lot to say about this because I've frustrated many people by not reading certain books. And I'm sure this will come up in next week's episode as well when we're actually talking about a book. Um, so, and so I, yeah, listeners, side note, if you're upset about us covering, not covering enough books, you can send your email to Ali at BrainNosBetter.com. <laughs> That's my fault. So get, getting back to this, I thought it, I, I do actually think it'll be interesting to talk about because I – I, I'm a big believer in this series because I, I love the fact that there's a female lead. I love the fact that it is um, getting young people excited about sci-fi and about dystopias, and I, I hope it's leading them to discover more great science fiction um, in in written form. And um, when I saw the movie, I thought it was pretty awesome that there were a bunch of young women and girls in the audience. Um, I, I think that's 
super cool. So that that's where I'm coming from with this franchise is I'm glad it exists. I don't think the books are that <clears throat> excuse me, that well written. Knowing well, knowing as well that J.K. Rowling, the first two Harry Potter books weren't mm-hmm. uh, as well written as the later books, and she really picked up in in her her skills as a writer. Um, but well, there wasn't enough in the books to to get me to read them. Basically, well, I mean, again, we're not really the audience that's that's meant for these books. I, I think they're entertaining. I do think that I, I'd agree with you. I don't think that they're extraordinarily well written. However. I do think that they create a universe and a very solid universe, especially in the first book, and and very clearly lays out what the set of rules of this universe is to the point where it's very believable, and it's it's part of why I think these books pull people in. And that's why I think they make good movies. Uh, right. There's nice, there's nice world building here. Um, there's it, it, things are kind of explained in a visual way. Um, and, you know, there's criticisms about that first movie where it didn't really play to the theme of hunger mm-hmm. and how much hunger is, is involved in this culture and why um, why it, there are such stark differences between the capital and, and the all the districts. But it is a cool world to see yeah. on the big screen. And yeah, the and they did, did a nice and, job I, and I think that the the production designers and the cinematography and there was a lot of really amazing things that they did visually with these films and any other gripes you might have with the script and things like that. I, I agree with you that you don't see enough of what the suffering is in this world to understand how manipulative the propaganda and the media is in order to keep them under the control of the capital. Um. And again, or why that is happening. So, you know, I I guess that's there. But in terms of the books themselves, my feeling is that the first book set up everything beautifully. And then there was a gradual decline in how the story was told. And even even I felt some contradictions in how she was representing um, the main character, Katniss. Um, And we saw some pretty cool things from her in the first book and how her character was built. And I felt like it just got worse and worse and and didn't make me happy overall with the series at the end. I got, and, I, I and I'm not going to, I'm not going to like spoil it for you. I'm just, that's my general assessment. So that's kind of how I was feeling about these films. It was kind of fun to see the first couple. And, you know, one of my big things about the fact, like even when you suggested that we see Mockingjay, I'm kind of like, yeah, but why on earth did they split this into two? And clearly, yeah. clearly it's for, monetary reasons and to get people to to spend the money to see this but this book since it is the thinnest of all of them oh the fact that they have stretched this out just infuriates me that's gonna be that's a big um checkbox on my notes my show notes for us to talk about and before we get to that one of the things i'm wondering about um you know suzanne collins is the author here and i I think Mm -hmm. i i again i really want to emphasize i love the social commentary around reality TV that she she creates in that first book. Um, but that first book came out in 2006, and mm-hmm. the second was in 2009, and the third was 2010. And this is Scholastic, uh, the publisher, also the pub- American publisher of Harry Potter. I'm wondering if she got a lot of pressure from her publisher to pump out those last two books in a quick su- uh, succession. Um, and I'm sure that the film rights were reserved um, in short order and there was 
Well, there must have been some pressure on her to get those last two books wrapped up. So I'm, I'm wondering if that's sort of played a role here. Um, it's uh, it's entirely possible, and we've seen that happen before. And so if that is what happened, it is unfortunate um, because it really you you definitely saw a pretty big shift. Um, and there is this feeling of rushing and trying to tie up every single loose end um, in the Mockingjay. Um, so you know, I, I'll. Uh, give her a little bit of slack and I mean as you said like I really like the fact that there's a female lead and an empowering female lead at least in the first book you Um, know this is the first story I think uh the first film I should say because we did cover seconds which had a female lead mm -hmm. but I think this is our first film that we're covering um in this whole year that we've been doing this podcast that has a female lead can you believe that yeah, no, I can't. But well, but yes, I can because look at the yeah. movie franchises, and that's something that you and I have talked quite a bit about. Um, so, all right, but um, let's should we get into? Are Mockingjay? you ready to dive in? Let's get into Mockingjay Part One. So, uh, what was your experience just uh, watching the film? Well, I, I will tell you that part of part of why I I wanted to bring up the fact that you know you and I are clearly not the target audience, even though. You know, adults may enjoy this and whatever, but we're just, this is not, this movie was not made for us. Um, And, you know, I saw it, I saw it um, in a New York movie theater that was totally packed. um, And it was packed um, with a lot of teenage, a lot of teenagers, but a pretty big mix. So um, teenage boys and girls. um, And they were very vocal about the parts that they liked and the parts that they didn't, but not, (laughs) but not in like an obnoxious way in the very New York experience, experiencing this as a group way. Um, And it made me actually see this film a little bit more from their point of view, which was kind of cool. Um, But even that couldn't really necessarily save it for me. So, um, but overall, it was a, it was actually a pretty a pretty good experience. Um, so, from from that point of view, I saw it, I saw it, I didn't see it in you know three uh, D or anything like that. Um, I don't think it's playing in three D or IMAX. I don't. Yeah. I didn't see it anywhere as an option for three D. Oh, I think it was at my theater actually, but I don't. Uh, I think it's like the fake three D where they kind of force it, and I never liked it. The post production, yeah, after. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but I, yeah. I did. I I saw it. Um, I saw it in regular two D, which is something I will seek out if given the opportunity to. Um, the one thing here, uh, we talked about this on our X Men Days of Future Past episode. I saw it in uh, Dolby Atmos sound, which is the three D sound. There's speakers on the sides. There's also speakers up top, and you're supposed to get. It's supposed to add the X Y kind of Z access to sound. Um, I didn't really hear much of the film taking advantage of it, and I was kind of in prime row seating to be able to hear those differences. So I didn't really hear too much going on with the sound. Maybe part of the reason for that is because there wasn't too much action happening. Yeah, but there was Uh, an awful lot of crying. An awful lot of crying. There was a lot of crying. You mean the Uh, sobs didn't reverberate through that Atmos sound? (laughs) No, I well maybe I should have paid attention more um, because there was a lot of crying. But like you, um, (laughs) my audience was um, majority teenager, tween, um, mostly female, which I thought was awesome. um, That a a bunch of young women are getting to see a um, um, a female character who kicks butt. 
in this franchise, overall kicks butt in the franchise. Um, but I got to tell you, Conrad, had we not um, picked this film to discuss, I would have waited to see this movie until right before I saw um, part Mockingjay Part 2. And here's why. I was burned big time when I saw The Hobbit Part 1. Yeah, I think everybody was. Oh. And generally, I have to tell you, very rarely does the splitting of like the final story ever work. Um, yeah. I think maybe in Harry Potter it kind of worked. Um, but... Because, I, but mainly, I think because it, there there was an awful lot to fit in. However, uh, like I just feel like maybe that's the most successful out of the the people the, out of the films that have done this. But yeah, The Hobbit was like a slog. Yeah, and Harry Potter, Deathly Hollows Part One and Two, they work well together. And um, however, if you're not a fan. And you see part one, it's a completely unsatisfying experience. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Um, and because the film, the film ends on a note, and you're like, um, okay, what, what now? The Hobbit is probably the worst oh, example. It's terrible. Oh, it's really if if you plot it out, what happens in plot in the plot for the Hobbit is a bunch of people get together and they move from point A to point B. And that's about it. There's really too much of an arc to these characters. There's one fun golem scene in the middle of all of that. But um, they really move from this point and being close to the Misty Mountain and then being a little bit closer. And there's not much that happens. Well, and and this is also yet another story. The Hobbit is not that long of a story. And in terms of the token... Uh, yeah. stories this is this was like supposed to be kind of a kids adventure it was supposed to be a little like interesting kind of prequel kind of thing but it wasn't supposed to be this as epic as the lord of the rings series was no. um and i think that they it's sp- supposed to be fun too it's supposed to be fun and they stretch that material when they really didn't need to and yeah. I I totally agree with you. That was like, oh, I can't believe you did this. <laughs> so as a result of that, I never went to go see Hobbit uh, Desolation of Smog in the theaters. And um, Nguyen is a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings films. And we wanted to go, but we decided, no, we were burned. Let's not do it. And then we rented it uh, recently and watched it. And we're like, oh, they did it again. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit better, but it's still not a complete film. And now I'm seen these ads for um the final film of hobbit and the the tagline is the defining chapter um and i'm thinking no there's this is not the defining chapter this is uh the final this is it, it should have never there has, should have never been different chapters it should have been one film and so uh, oh spoil- i totally i'll admit to you right now i totally forgot that there were three pieces to this that they mm. not only they they didn't just break it up into two pieces they broke it up into three pieces, oh man, it's it's not cool when you stretch material beyond its limits. Now Deathly Hollows, um, there's there are a lot of pages in in that book. Um, it, it it worked because there I think there was source material to support it, and I think Half Blood Prince, which is probably the largest, is that the largest of the books. Conrad, Half-Blood uh, Prince? Yeah, I think so. 
it it really uh, it could have benefited from more from a longer runtime. Um, but I will say, even then, Deathly Hallows Part One doesn't really work out that well. And getting back to Mockingjay, um, here's here's my review in a nutshell. I thought the film was exploring some real interesting ideas, and we'll get into that. Um, however, as someone who has not read the book, when the film end, ended, I walked out of that theater pretty unsatisfied in terms of a movie-going experience. Um, and it, it felt like, to me, it there was not enough source material to support splitting this book into two films. Yeah, definitely wasn't. And and that's sort of why I went into this with some I I some dragging of feet and perhaps a small amount of stomping. Um <laughs> <laughs> which I think I picked up on in our communications about what to discuss this week. Yeah, uh, it's more just But there was be- a little ambivalence there. I, I feel like you wanted to believe that no. it wouldn't be that. No, I knew it would be cuz you haven't <laughs> you haven't finished reading the books. And I mean, I think uh, I admittedly part of what is informing my 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 tood about this is the fact that I feel I it's what we said before. I felt like she built up this great character and there were so many great things um and even within the first couple of films you saw some of those things and and they did a fairly decent job at showing this universe. And then for this one, it, they just kind of let all of that go and they were really stretching it. Um, and it wasn't just the, the storyline here and in the portrayal of the film. And I mean, again, this is like great cast um, and don't they, they just don't use them very well. I think the script was was had left much to be desired. Um, and I just feel like the portrayal of Katniss. And by the way, don't don't get me wrong in terms of what I was saying about there being a lot of crying. I don't mind that they're going to show a character that has like a lot of emotional depth within a film. And I don't think because you show a, a female or a male character crying for that matter, um, that I don't, I don't believe that that's a problem, but I just feel like the Katniss that we saw in like the first films it is just non-existent at this point. Um, this is not really a leader, and I know that I know what they're going for here, and they're trying to build her up and show like what she went through and all this this trauma. But it makes for very boring storytelling, um, and you don't, you know, maybe it was some of the script, but you don't really fully believe it, or at least I didn't. I well, and so there's the script that you're commenting on. I, I'm inclined to agree on it. Agree with you. Um, the uh, the thing that left me lacking, also in addition to that, was the cinematography. Um, oh, I, I was it, about to say, color wise, wasn't this pretty freaking bland? It was. It was bland in terms of color. I also think it it didn't feel like it had the scope of a film. It felt more like it had the scope of an episode of Agents of Shield. Um, mm. And nothing against Agents of Shield, although I'm not a fan of that either. Uh, but uh, uh, it felt more like it had the. Uh, the scale of a TV show in terms of the budget, in terms of the special effects and what they can create. Um, it just, there weren't any major um, setting shots, which made me feel like I was in that large world again. And I get what they're trying to do here. Look, they're, they're talking about the role of media and PR and propaganda in selling a war. 
real interesting material there. It made me think about uh, things like the um, Egypt's revolution and how wars can be won or lost over YouTube and the messages that get out. And yeah, I think that is the real uh, the meat of this whole story. Again, Hunger Games plays up to some of these interesting modern ideas about how um, the internet and celebrity and all of this stuff plays a role with all of this. But, but um, I didn't really get a good sense of the world that these characters live in. Um, I didn't really well, feel like it, it was. It, yeah. And does it, do you like agree that um, in terms of, you know, I, as you were saying, they were trying to show the differences between Pan Am and now the the Rebel Alliance or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> um, but do you the rebellion? But I don't. But it feels like a pretty shallow portrayal. No, like that sounds like it you and I are does. in agreement on that. It's sort of like okay, well, we all wear gray colored clothes, and <laughs> you know, and it, like I don't know, and I and I guess. What I was just going back to what I was saying about the cast. I mean, you've got Julianne Moore, Woody Harrelson, you've got Philip Seymour Hoffman in one of his last roles. Um, in his last role, yeah. You know, um, it's it's Jennifer Lawrence, who who I think is um, someone who um, is a real up and coming actress in Hollywood. Um, the, the the cast. Um, you have a Helmsworth brother. <laughs> you have Natalie Dormer, who's uh, in pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> these days yeah yeah yeah. Um, um, and it, it just doesn't it, feel like they got anywhere with it, this fantastic no. cast like i didn't really care enough so so tell me tell me this uh julianne moore's character she plays the president of uh this rebellion um does she have more material to work with in the book or was this a script issue or is it both because gosh wh- i was I really was so disappointed by her character. I, I felt no, like she was I mean, so. This is uh, this is, I think, a problem with the book, um, and this is the problem with that book generally. Is that especially even with the characters that you know they're treated differently and they do things that you don't really think that they'd actually do under duress or otherwise, you just don't buy that this is actually what they were going to do. And then the characters that they introduce, like President Coin. Um, you just don't you don't really see all that much i mean it's clear that they're making her the counterpoint to president snow mm-hmm. um but it's just it's totally weak like you don't believe that this person could actually lead this group of people mm-hmm. uh, like there's no she she doesn't even show enough emotion or show enough anything even when you hear her very like limited backstory you hear like a couple of like things to to you know, I guess give you some insight into why she is perhaps as cold as she is, but I don't feel like this character is developed at all. I think it shows both in the book and I think in the film. And you know, like that's this is the thing. The other, the reason why I'm not fully willing to give Suzanne Collins, why I'm not willing to give her more credit, or why I'm not, giving, I don't want to give her like a pass a little bit, is because even if the books were hurried toward the end. She did have input into the script, so I feel like that would have been a chance for her if she was going to tweak things or if she had something else in mind or if it was like, oh, I really wish I could have shown this piece of this character. She kind of had the option to do that. 
Um, mm. And I don't, I mean, granted, we don't know how much involvement she has. And even no matter what the credits say, you don't always know how much involvement. And maybe she did put things in that we don't know about. But I just felt like it was a very thin story. Yeah. And it's really not the actress because this cast is great. Uh, uh, Gail Hawthorne, I believe, is the individual who plays uh, PETA. He was with Julianne Moore in The Kids Are All Right, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and they were fantastic in that yeah. in that film. Uh, I mean, th- this is a really great cast, and Julianne Moore was felt so stiff and so boring as the leader of a rebellion. You know, the actress who um, who plays uh, the female in. Um, and is it Return of the Jedi who utters those lines, you know, many, many Bothans lost their lives getting us this information? Or is that in A New Hope? Um, I'm, I can't remember. But the woman who gave those lines uh, delivered so much more emotion mm. in just so few lines. And then we never see her again in the whole Star Wars trilogy and and, and prequels and maybe sequels. Um but that scene is so memorable and so much emotion is conveyed in in that moment. And Julianne Moore had a lot of moments with Katniss, with District 13, um, with so many of the uh, the actors in that film. And just it just felt stiff. And yeah. I know it's not the actress. I right. know it's not her. I also have to call you out on one little piece. It's uh, Josh, Josh Hutcherson as PETA and then Liam Hemsworth um, – as Gail Hawthorne. I totally which, switched. Which is okay because, <laughs> you know, I, I mess up names all the time, clearly. But wasn't <laughs> so, that the thing with the casting? Everyone thought they're like, oh, no, totally. That guy is going to be playing uh, PETA. Another guy is going to be playing. Yeah, uh, everybody thought it was going to be the other way around. But no, yeah. I think you're totally right. And um, the other the other thing that really... It is part of the books, but I feel like they sort of highlighted some of the pieces of this that were very, again, we are not the audience, and I get that, but there was like the whole weird thing with um, Effie Trinket just being like, you're going to look fabulous. Do you know what I mean? And I know that that's (laughs) part of her character, and then they're going through the artist's um, renderings of the uniform and things like that, that um, Cinna had had done for... um, for Katniss, uh, but the thing is, is that in the actual book, they they're really doing that like mainly to highlight the fact that these people had sacrificed an awful lot to get her there. It wasn't a focus on, you know, and maybe that's what they were trying to do in the film, but it wasn't a focus on like, okay, fashion is going to help this rebellion. Like it was just super strange. And I mean, I know that it's probably also speaking to the idea of how to how to run propaganda, how to start a rebellion, a rebellion, mm. how to, you know, and yes, I guess part of that is optics, but it just felt so forced and creepy in this. Didn't, did you feel that? Because I was just like, really? This is odd. Yeah, um, it, it just, um, it didn't really feel consistent with what we know about these characters in the universe that's already kind of built up. Um, and there was parts of the film that also felt confusing to me. Um, so uh, would, would those, would those parts be how it takes like, you know, when the doors are closing in five, four, three, two, oh. one, but yet the run down <laughs> the stairs feels like 
it's definitely taking longer than that. Is that one of the pizzas? Total action movie <laughs> trope right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sequence was... Uh, it, that's one of those moments that also doesn't really feel true that um, uh, Katniss's sister would go back for a cat. And I mean, no, I get that people would go back for a cat. I, I mean, I love I, pets are awesome and you would they're a part of your family and you love them and you care for them. But just the way that plays out doesn't ring true the same way that that type of moment doesn't ring true in Man of Steel, too. You're like, if you start thinking about it, you're like, wait, no, you wouldn't go all the way back down and then realize my cat and then go back. Well, up. that is a little bit of a different sequence on what actually happened. So that's mm. they. Play, but then again, this was one of those choices that they made. I was like, why? Why focus on that particular sequence? Um, yeah. I will tell you that in my movie theater, that was the sequence that got the most cheers slash sarcastic cheers. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, cheers. yeah, I know. It's like they made it into the, they made it into the uh, bomb shelter, and yeah, the, the all the all the teenagers are like being like, hurrah, yeah, but like super sarcastic about it. Well, help me understand two things that I'm pretty confused about. Number one, um, so Woody Harrelson just kind of shows up, um, and there's he's <laughs> we're like maybe half an hour into the film, and then his character shows up, and Katniss is like, "Oh, what are you doing here?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm here too. I've been here for a while." And oh, they mentioned him earlier. They say he's in one of the lower levels drying out because that's one of the things about district. Uh, the district is that. Um, they don't allow um, like alcohol or drugs or anything like that. Oh, so that was mentioned. Yeah, it was mentioned earlier, but it was a very quick mention, so it was pretty oh. easy to miss. Um, and then there's, you know, there's actually a funny thing within one of the books, which is the uh, uh, the the sort of people that have been helping them from the capital, like the Philip Seymour Hoffman character and things like that. Um, they're going through like coffee withdrawal because there's no coffee there. Oh, cool. Uh, so there's this whole like thing about that. Um, so that's kind of actually funny. It's sort of like they went through all of this to get there and, and there's like none of the stuff that they, <laughs> they didn't really think about the things that they'd be missing. But yeah, that's why Haymitch shows up. Well, he, he mentions that later on about how it is a dry district and um, the abstinence that's, that's practiced there. And I liked, I liked that and I liked seeing this character sober and what that was like and the contrast. Uh, but yeah, that wasn't really fleshed out enough for me. The other thing that I need to understand that I am confused about, uh, so Peta warms Katniss in the one of the climaxes of this film that um, the, that they're coming for for you they're coming the district is going to be wiped out they give them they give they end up giving the district about like eight minutes or so to evacuate that they wouldn't have had uh, otherwise right mm -hmm. now he we later find out that he's being brainwashed which yeah but he's not being brainwashed in the normal way so he they're using. What are they using? They're using some kind of venom. Yeah, like, you know, the, the sort of crazy yellow jacket type thing. The things. yellow jacket. Yeah, so they have a funny name for it. Yeah, uh, Jacker Trackers. Um, Jacker Trackers. So they, they are using that venom to basically condition him to associate her with, um, with fear response and things like that. However... It's pretty clear in the books that when whenever they're putting him up in front of the audience, that they're basically blackmailing him and telling him various things because he doesn't know that um, 
the district that he came from, that he and Katniss came from. Has been wiped out. Has been wiped out. So he yeah. doesn't know, like, they're threatening his family and things like that. So, they're so not, if, it's not just, like, they basically have him under duress. And But I think what they were trying to show in this film is that her little video of her singing that terrible song um, broke through the brainwashing. But I agree with you. It's not exactly <laughs> a... It's not exactly a realistic thing to happen, but I think you just have to accept it within this universe. So, um, okay, so a couple of things. So one is uh, this type of aversive conditioning where you try to combine people with um, aversive stimuli. We saw it in Clockwork Orange. Mm -hmm. We see it here. Um, It's actually really hard to do in real life. And usually when the conditioning stops, it's hard to keep that... Um, when you stop pairing up the aversive conditioning, which here I guess it would be the tr- uh, jacker, tracker, venom, whatever it is, um, it's really hard to keep that conditioning going. Um, so there's that. But I'll take my psychologist hat <laughs> off and getting back to Superfit. Well, again, third hour. but again, this whole, as I said, this whole book, this movie, it's it's much weaker than than I would have liked it i mean i like i like the genetically engineered animal stuff i I don't think the films explore it as much as maybe the books do but i i like those ideas and uh nerdist on there because science had a nice uh video about like uh uh, how the lengths at which we genetically engineer animals in real life so i like that kind of stuff but it still doesn't make sense to me why would he if he's been conditioned to associate fear and cat and fear with catness. It's Why not. It's not. Katniss? It's not necessarily that it's fear. They're kind of messing with his memory, so he doesn't really know exactly what's real and what's not. So he has some positive association with her, but also some negative association, and he's just very, very confused. Um, so it just kind of fits whatever the narrative needs. Yeah, the exactly. <laughs> okay, it, well, that's what that's... I was trying to say before. But yes, so, clear that that's what they're trying to do with it. All right. Um, well, that's that's a poorly written. Uh, <laughs> it, the story. Okay, look, you can go. I will tell you, even within the story, it's still pretty weak. So even when they give you more detail about exactly how they did it. Um, they kind of describe it as being almost like acid flashbacks that this venom is within him and kind of like in it points of like high emotion stuff. It'll rear its ugly head and he gets these visions so he can't discern what's real and what's not. It's a little bit over the top and doesn't really make a lot of sense. That's unfortunate because as you can be a sci-fi or a fantasy story and go in some wild directions, but as long as your story uh, keeps an internal consistency. As long as stuff makes sense in the universe you've developed, I'm on board. Sign me up. But when it starts breaking down like this, mm, it's and if that keeps happening, and if that also is happening with the characters, like they're not true to the characters, then it's going to be pretty hard for Ali Matu to suspend disbelief. <laughs> and that's kind of where I was ending with this. So I walked out of the theater a little confused, feeling like there was a lot of story missing from from this and also not too excited to see the last one um and all I definitely didn't feel like I wanted to go out and, and read the book so that's kind of where I end up on this and it sounds like that's also where the fans are just from your viewing and my viewing my audience had a mixed response too throughout the movie there's times where they were like yeah and really appreciating the moments with these characters that they love and other times were like 
that's stupid or are actively making fun of it in some way. Well, and I think another part of this is the fact that they stretch this into two parts. A lot of the action happens in the second part. So you have this like they stretch this so much and they really don't don't have much to stretch. So you mm-hmm. have some really boring, boring, long like interludes and then the the stuff that I think people really liked, especially in the first couple of movies, is the arena. And that's, you know, it's in the books, too, that that's missing from the third book. You can't have the arena, the arena in there three times, although it is sort of in there in, in terms of, like, you know, I don't want to spoil too much. Dun, dun, dun. I'm not going to spoil too much, but there is the idea of the arena and the different challenges you have to get through in another way that that happens in the third uh at the end of the third book um but you know the visuals that were from that the challenges they had to get through they're not really here in the first half and it makes for pretty boring storytelling yeah and if you cut out something like that it's going to expose more weaknesses in the story like if there that's we saw that with uh, the first uh hobbit film and i will tell you i agree with you i think jennifer lawrence does her darndest <laughs> to try to, yeah. to pull this off. And I still like her. And um, I I like the cast. And it really was just sort of like, I was like, come on, guys. I mean, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman did an amazing job. He's amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. And, and, but it's just like that you can't, you can't rescue a super weak script or storyline. And, and unfortunately, I think that's where I come out on this. Um, I, think so, it, um, I think if you are a fan of the trilogy, you should wait until the second film comes out and then watch these two together um but i would say in my assessment it's it's following the sort of what the books were like so i think even if you wait you're still going to be like uh why'd she do that with this book so yeah i'm, I'm gonna say if uh if you're not not a fan of the books just totally skip the film um and if you are a fan and you can't wait, then you've probably already seen it. Uh, but if you're a fan and you can wait, you might be more satisfied just waiting for the second one to come out and do a double feature um, at a movie theater. Right, or but again, I mean, but if you're like, you know, if you're you're taking teenagers or, or tweens or whatever to it, I mean, I think it's a fine thing to go to. I don't think it, I'd rather, quite honestly, I would rather take them to Big Hero 6. But, um, you know, I think... They'll have fun with it, but you may not. <laughs> so, Would you rather go see this or Interstellar? Interstellar. I think it, it at least Interstellar, even the things that frustrated me, I felt like it was some interesting storytelling. Um, this, yeah, maybe just visually... And just with the ideas, Interstellar would might might would probably win out. Um, uh, I I will tell you though, this was not the worst film that I watched this weekend. Um, uh, <laughs> what else did you so see? So for reanimated, I watched this a zombie western called Gallo <laughs> Gallo Walkers with Wesley Snipes, and it is just. I mean, we we really should have known. We should have known. Um, it was rated very... I think it had like 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> nice. But, but how can you pass over a Wesley Snipes zombie western? I don't know how you can say no to that. Um, I hope you guys had a really fun review of it because that's one of the... When it's a really crappy movie, it's nice to just Sort of, like... but we had a pretty short and succinct review of it. But um, <laughs> I was, you know, I was happy that 
mocking jay mocking jay rose up a little bit in my opinion after seeing that so nice nice <laughs> well listeners let us know what you think of hunger games mocking jay part one um should we venture into uh our chamber cross over challenge of the day well, wait where would you where would you exactly would you like us to go just repeat that <laughs> What I would like us to do, I have no idea what I said, Uh, what I'd like us to do is venture into the infinite crossover chamber. Come with me if you want to leave and I'll take you to an arena where you're probably going to die. I thought you were going to do like the Mockingjay like sound, this little song. I can't, you know, as much as I like doing voices, I can't whistle. (laughs) I can't, I just, I can't do it. All right. Well, we found we found your fatal flaw, your Achilles heel. I kind of do it, Conrad. Um, um, all right. Well, so so. <laughs> so what's who's clearly? In the crossover? I, I feel like we are. You're giving us hints about who you think is going to win already. But in the crossover <laughs> chamber, if you could not tell from from Ali's introduction, we are pitting Katniss Everdeen against Sarah Connor, and the question is, who would be the better instigator, or who is the better instigator of a rebellion? So, leap in, young well, okay. Matu. Okay, so, um, Sarah Connor, we've got uh, Terminator 1, Terminator 2, uh, not really in Terminator 3, and Terminator Salvation doesn't exist, but then there's also the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Um, which the, are pretty good if you have not watched them. Yeah, which are pretty good. Um, um, so, there's a lot of, uh, and didn't the actress who played Sarah Connor? She's in Game of Thrones as Cersei. Yes, yes. Um, so, a lot of really cool stuff there with Sarah Connor. So, we know her as a father, uh, as a, <laughs> a father. We know her as um, basically the mother of the rebellion against the machine. Do, so the... do, do you need more Doritos to get your blood sugar up? Just checking. I think I do. I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> I a very long, very long day of a lot of uh, therapy. So, um, so she is a very important person in the Terminator franchise. The machines rebel, um, and she is the one. She's she does a lot of cool stuff. Conrad, help me out here. Um, how? What are the cool things that Sarah Cotter does? <laughs> oh well, I mean, I was going to go out, out into this crossover. Um, part of why I thought this would be an interesting idea is that both Katniss and Sarah Connor are presented with different options um, and things that they're kind of forced into. So in Katniss's case, she she volunteers because she doesn't want her sister to be uh, put into the Hunger Games because she would most likely end up dying. Um, she ends up winning the games, and she's basically starting things that she doesn't feel she has control over or doesn't realize how much power she has, Um but she's basically asked to sort of follow this path. Uh, Sounds like a lot like another character we know. Right. And then Sarah Connor, slightly different way to get there because she's she's got like some crazy time traveler coming back and telling her <laughs> that, uh, you know, what the future is going to be. And it doesn't fully it doesn't give her like the full story. Definitely tells her a little bit what's going on. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, for spoiling Terminator here for those of you who haven't seen it, but um, he doesn't immediately tell her that he needs to get with her to, uh, to basically have this future happen. Do you think he knew? 
Um, I don't think he knew. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. It, it's to me. I feel like he had to know a little bit. Um, he, here's because my thing. especially when they actually have sex together, clearly that's what's that. That's clearly what has has to happen. Um, but I don't think he knew going back. But I think he knew. You know, once it happened. Yeah. But but here's here's another uh, theory. I don't know if this has been discredited, but um, the whole idea of no fate, but what we make. And then the third, which is a message of the second film. um, And the third film really hammers home the idea that there's no avoiding Judgment Day. So I I think going along with the third film, I think uh, Sarah Connor does um, does mother. Uh, John Connor, um, and maybe in another timeline, she uh, she got with some other person, um, had a kid, uh, trained him, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but now we're on this different parallel timeline where she's been told all these things that she's an important person, and um, you will raise the leader of the rebellion and everything you teach him is going to be so important. So I think there's a, a bit of an idea that she has been, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because she's right. been told she does all these things, but that's not really what we're debating in the crossover. Um, both women are put into situations um, that they didn't really ask for, but become the key people in these rebellions for Terminator's rebellion against the machines, against Skynet. In Hunger Games, it's the rebellion against the capital. The question we are asking is who's the better instigator of that rebellion? How do we debate that when both individuals didn't necessarily ask to be in this position? Katniss volunteers as tribute, but she doesn't volunteer to become the Mockingjay, really. Well, right, but I mean, there's a lot of other things on the line for her, and for her, it's always those personal connections that makes her do, that motivates her to do the things she does, whether it's Gail or Peta or her sister. Um, that's always what they're showing is that, um, unlike President Snow, who it appears does, has sort of chosen his path here, although we don't really know that, um, she she's put into this position where. If she wants the people that she cares about the most to do well and to survive, she has to take on this role. Um, And Sarah Connor is in a similar vein told that if she doesn't do this, the, the world, the whole world is doomed, including her child and I guess all the people she cares about. Although most of them are kind of, uh, killed off pretty quickly you know her roommate in the jazzercise outfit and that kind of thing (laughs) um although you know i suspect sarah connor probably was a bit of a jazzerciser herself Um, uh, but you know like i think for them and even what you see her doing with her son even though it's hard uh for sarah connor to do so some of the things she has to show him they're not necessarily what you would want uh, but she believes very much in this role so she does all of these things to prep for that. She gathers allies. She she get like gets experts to train her son in all these different um, specialties, um, in preparation. So um, I feel I feel like even though it is totally insane, Sarah Connor grabs her fate a little bit more firmly than Katniss. Katniss just seems a little bit more. I mean, Sarah Connor complains, but Katniss seems just a little bit more. 
it's more than reluctance. She seems kind of whiny. So, well, I think uh, the word I would use here is manipulated. I, I think Katniss is more manipulated by the forces um, around her, and um, there is a moment in this film, in Mockingjay Part One, where Katniss does seem to grab a hold a little bit more of this idea of becoming the Mockingjay, and we see it very clearly when she sees uh, um, what the what the capital is doing and the impact it's had on where she, uh, on district. 12 as well as some of these other districts I, I think there is a moment where she captures that but I don't know if that would have happened if she wasn't manipulated to see that and to see to experience that with Sarah Connor once she once she gets it once she sees the uh, is it the T700 or the T500 in that first film um, T800 I'm forgetting the model number here um, but whenever she sees that mod T900, okay, listeners, please let me know what <laughs> T100 model it is. I know the it's a T1000 in the sequel. It's the original. Um, it's the original, it's, Ollie. When you see that original Arnold in all its glory as the Terminator, um, when you see that, and that's when that's a moment where Sarah uh, Connor really connects all the dots. And we see the direct impact that has in the next film, in Terminator 2 Judgment Day, where her whole identity, her whole purpose has become raising John Connor in a way in which he'll be able to lead the rebellion. She has taken that up 100 percent in a way in which I don't think Katniss does. At least not yet. Now that might change in Mockingjay Part Two, but to my knowledge, um, there's a different different level of sort of uh, becoming that instigator of the rebellion. Well, I mean, and this is the thing. I think you're right. I think Katniss is manipulated, um, and as I said before, I think the only reason that she really gets involved is when things are shown to her that may hurt her loved ones. Um, so, I I think that. It's it's similar it's similar ideas, but you also have to remember Katniss is a lot younger than Sarah Connor. She's a teenager, um, and mm-hmm. you know so possibly more easily manipulated. And keep in mind that she's just gone through basically two different experiences where she's had to uh, survive, and to survive she has had to kill or inadvertently kill people. That are in the That's same true. situation as her. She's gone through some pretty traumatic. Now, now Sarah Connor has gone through some super traumatic and possibly psychosis <laughs> causing things, <laughs> um, including some different visions and things like that. Um, but it's not. She has had to to run for her life and has basically has seen the proof of what may happen in the future that causes her to believe. But for for Katniss, most of what has gone on, you know, she she's been shielded from a lot of it. So she doesn't know how she's being perceived through the media. So in a large way, I think I feel like at least through these films, we're watching her sort of build up to that. But I would agree with you at this point where we leave the series. I'm I'm. Sarah, Sarah Connor, I think, is totally trumping Katniss. Well, one more thing to add in here as you're talking. Uh, we know the image, the media, um, the idea of Katniss um, is a real symbol in this rebellion. Um, there's a pretty direct connection there. Can we say that Sarah um, Connor is the instigator of the rebellion or is that John Connor? 
It's, it, I think it's a little bit of both because people know who she is. Um, they come back in time. They know who she, who she is. Uh, different people around know it. Um, and it seems as if from what you hear that people have known her reputation and John talks about that. Um, mm. But it's, you know, it's a little bit of a, a tough thing. I feel like is instigator the right word? Well, I don't think we would have John Connor would be who he is if it wasn't for yeah without her. So in that sense, he is the instigator, uh, or she is the instigator of the rebellion. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think this is a tie on my side. No, uh, you're that's a cop out. No, I mean, I think uh, like we don't really see Sarah Connor fight the rebellion. We don't really see her in the rebellion. See, she's a a major. If it wasn't for her, John Connor would be different. But we don't see her have that direct impact on the rebellion. Um, but her amazing guns don't in T two don't have that impact. Well, she has a pretty big impact in T two. Um, Sorry, I just remember all those interviews with her, like like taking off her jacket or whatever to show off her her amazing biceps she's got some amazing biceps um, especially <laughs> when she's doing those pull-ups in the in the prison yeah, scene yeah. that was awesome sorry i digress well, go but ahead. we didn't even mention the tv show i um i don't remember the tv show too well i saw a few episodes here well, and there so this is the thing i think that the tv show is sort of more of the sarah connor i'm thinking of because it shows just much more of her involvement um, so if you're including that within what we're talking about, I, I feel like Sarah Connor wins hands down. Mm. Um, just because of all the different things that she has to do within that series. Um, and it's super, you should watch it a little bit more. It's, it's pretty interesting what the, the, some of the things that they do with that. Um, and if you like Terminator, I think that it's just fantastic. I um, love Terminator, except so, for Salvation. Um, uh, well, and- well, you can't have it all. Um, but I just feel like overall she's just a – I mean, speaking of storylines that are sometimes kind of go off the rails, Terminator is definitely one of them. But oh, I, yeah. I think her character <laughs> overall, they know who she is. They They kind of deal with who she is. And you watch her progression, and it, she just becomes stronger and stronger. I mean, she definitely has a few weak moments, clearly. But um, I feel like Katniss is just not even... It's it's more than just reluctance. She's just being totally like a figurehead. Um, mm. But but that's, you know, until the second half of the Mockingjay. Yeah, and that's, that's kind <laughs> so, of where it's hard for me to judge this, too. Um, I, I mean, you're, you're saying Sarah Connor. I'm, I'm going to say tie um even though i love sarah connor so much um but i'm gonna say a tie um and listeners let us know um who you think wins this battle in the infinite crossover chamber shall we close up those doors conrad yeah we can close them up on to our top five. What are we talking about today, Connor? Uh, today we are talking about, we're lightening things up a little bit. It is the season of Thanksgiving. It's going to be this week. Um, we are excited to eat a lot of food. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that for me anyway is synonymous with the holidays, all holidays, is some, some movie watching because you get a little time off. Um, sometimes the weather isn't so nice. Uh, sometimes... 
you know, you may be trying to to escape some family dynamics or enjoy some films with your family. Um, and so sometimes simultaneously do both. <laughs> sometimes this is true. Um, my family's fantastic. So, you know, I would say we are a non-traditional holiday film watching family, um, <laughs> as you may already know. <laughs> um, so, so I, I will say my, my list is probably a little bit, um, or a lot different from what your list is, Ali. Well, my list might be a little uh, wibbly wobbly too. My criteria here, um, I was really thinking about films that I remember seeing mm-hmm. uh, with my family on Thanksgiving. I also picked a few, um, and we chose things to watch, not necessarily just films, but things to watch. Um, so some of the stuff I remember watching, some of the stuff just reminds me of the themes of Thanksgiving. So either ideas of that gratitude or um, family either chosen or or otherwise, the family you're born into or family you were raised with. So that's really my, that was my criteria. That's how I came up with my list. All right. Um, yeah, I just put together a random hodgepodge of various things. Um, and some of it's kind of funny. Um, and these are just what I associate generally with the holidays. Um, mostly, I tried to stick mostly with Thanksgiving. I think uh, Christmas holidays is another list entirely. Um, it's Christmas slash New Year. Um, so so I kind of left it at that. Um, but um, how about you roll out number five for us? Ali? Yeah, I, so I should say before you say that, that there's a few films that are not on my list that we have talked about, like Star Wars is a film. Um, and Harry Potter is a film that I, might... both of those for me are because we've talked about both of those. Those are both on my honorable mentions. They're clearly, yep. they're clearly classic holiday fare. Um, and in fact, it feels like every year one or both of those are on at some point. Yeah, yep. <laughs> so. exactly. Exactly. So, um, okay. My number five is home alone. Uh, now I know this film does sort of take place uh, closer to the Christmas time holiday, but it's a film that is very closely connected with Thanksgiving for me. Um, it's a film that uh, my partner knew in always. Uh, she grew up kind of watching this around uh, Thanksgiving, and it just became a staple in her Thanksgiving time, and it's since become a staple in my Thanksgiving time. So the story of this sociopathic young boy <laughs> and what he does to these robbers. Um, it's just a, it's a fun little holiday treat for me. I also have an emotional connection to this film. I think Macaulay Culkin and I were about the same age when this film came out, or I was a little bit, a uh, little bit older, a little bit younger. I don't remember. We were pretty close in age, so I, I remember seeing it when it came out, and it's always had this uh, nostalgic charm for me. So that's my number five, Home Alone. Cool. Uh, that is actually uh, my little brother, Kevin loved this film possibly <laughs> because he is also named kevin as is the main character in the kevin! film um and you know my mom had this thing about this film because there's you know we're, we're a pretty big family so trying to get out the door and whatever and the whole the whole piece where the mom's trying to count the kids and getting everybody yeah, wrangled yeah, yeah. my mom would always be like this is my worst nightmare leaving a kid at home <laughs> you know so uh, so yeah, I also associate with the holidays, but I, I left it off just simply because it's, to me, it's more Christmas time. Yeah. But yeah, I feel yeah. like, you know, it feels like a lot of these sort of holiday movie marathon and things. I actually, there was like this whole thing on the other day, like the the Grinch Who Stole Christmas was already on. 
Yeah. Um, and yeah. so they're already like, they, it's and Christmas decorations are up. I feel like, you know, after Halloween, everybody's like, all right, fair game. It's already Christmas. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's just uh, the, the sort of suburban type of sprawl of the holidays um, out of December into all the other months. All right. Uh, well, so so I'll jump into my number five, uh, which is twenty eight days later. <laughs> what? All yeah. Right. You know what? Uh, we like. Um, I, I went up home to to my family's for the holidays, and you know it. it it's perhaps there's something very wrong with us, or something very right, depending on what your what your thinking is. But we tend to we tend to watch zombie films um, at my house whenever whenever I'm up there for the holidays, um, and it's something we enjoy, including my mother. Although I will tell you, 28 days later, she was not happy about. Uh, <laughs> she was much more happy with some other choices that we had. But uh, but yes, we all watch this. This definitely. Uh, Makes me think of family and and the holidays, which I know is super disturbing. <laughs> well, but there there there's an element. So I, I I can get I can get that. And so first off, you are the co-host of Reanimated. So I your love of zombie <laughs> stuff has to come from somewhere. But the other thing about if you think of, about being in a zombie apocalypse, um, one of the big things that people think about: I want to get to my partner i want to get to my kids i want to get to my friends and if you don't get to them and if they're lost by the zombies um the people you're with become your family and some of those ideas play out in 28 days later so i can totally see that i I think you're reading a little too much into this ali but (laughs) (laughs) this is my superpower i'm really good at rationalization this is this is no no i mean we like zombie films if we're together for the holidays and often um my my brother Kevin, who I had mentioned before, he'll save up different movies that he wants me to watch, and he will force me to stay up all night with him to watch all these films. Um, <laughs> which is it, it, like you know, and he'll he'll always like yell at me like, "Are you sleeping?" <laughs> and so, um, but it's something that I really enjoy doing. So, um, so yeah, but but no, I I don't know about your assessment. <laughs> so. Well, dig it, take it for what you will. Oh, uh, all good though. So, but but on to number four. My number four is a more traditional pick. It's um, a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, that was my number three. Oh, cool, cool, mm-hmm. cool. Um, I love Charlie Brown, um, and I sort of grew up with Charlie Charlie Brown. It, it's something again that new. Uh, it's become a part of New Anne and my sort of family. Um, and our relationship and it's something we always, uh, enjoy and love to share together. And I just think, um, the cast of characters of Charlie Brown are, are really cool. And uh, growing up, I always loved, um, the, how parents are portrayed or adults, yes. you know, I just, I love that so much. Cause I think well, that's kind of what it felt like to be a kid and, uh, what your parents were talking to you. So, um, just sweet. I, I also story. I also love it. I, I I generally like all the Charlie Brown holiday specials. Yeah, um, me too. You know, they all they all kind of like ping those little nostalgia things for me. That that and Twenty Days Later, you know. Um, but <laughs> you are a unique person. I am super unique. <laughs> um, but um, what I actually really love about this is what the ideas of you know the guests, the kids all bring, what their idea of a feast is. So, you know, there's like toast and pretzel and like ice cream and stuff like that. Um, 
you know, that their, their idea of the meal and then they like Peppermint Patty kind of like berates Charlie Brown over the whole thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a very cute idea and it always, you know, the Charlie Brown gang, I think you're right. Like the way they portray children, the way children think is pretty funny. And I appreciate it even more as an adult than I did yeah. as a kid. Oh, totally. Totally. It ages so well. And, and Snoopy is still it. the best. Snoopy's the best. Snoopy's the best. Clearly. Um, We should have some, uh, thanks to Justin Weatherby, we should have some uh, Snoopy snow cones. I was just just about to mention friend of the show, (laughs) Justin Weathersby, um, and say that, yes, that should be be on our dessert list this year. Oh, Um, man. Awesome. So um, what was your number four then, Conrad? um, My number four was Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, that's a great holiday film. Um, it's great. The first one, right? Yeah, the first one. Um, Curse of the Black Pearl. It's just, it's just a lot of fun. Um, it's also one of those films that you know, like, whenever the holidays, sort of the holiday season comes up, you see this on like nonstop. Um, and I will always stop to watch it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and I'll admit to you, I was one of the biggest skeptics. Like, they're gonna make a. A movie, oh, a movie totally. out of a ride. This is gonna be terrible. Totally. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was, it's fun. It's a fun little little romp. Um, yeah. So, so to me, this is this is holidays, pirates and zombies. Yeah, you know, last week we were talking about Big Hero Six, and we we're talking about Disney with Diana Chang, um, which is a super fun episode, and um, it got me thinking about Disney park rides and just how much fun they are and how they tell these stories. I thought they did such a great job capturing some of those feelings um, in this film. They uh, not only do they play to the Disney fans, but it's also just kind of a good, fun action film in itself. Um, that's a great pick. I, I was also very skeptical of a, spect- a spectacle. Yes, I was a spectacle, a skeptical of this film, and also love it. Um, Wait, nice so, one. So, is it Caribbean or or Caribbean? You know, <laughs> uh, I, I I am going to choose not to answer that question because, as a, a friend of the show, uh, Bert was telling me this weekend. Um, Wait, who, apparently, who told you that? At Brainwise, one of our our listeners uh, was uh, making a comment about this uh, over the weekend and mentioning how I often mispronounce things in reference to a certain uh, DC comic book TV show. Oh, I cannot Uh, imagine which which character he was referencing. Yeah, it starts with con and ends with an E. (laughs) So I'll leave it at (laughs) I'll leave it at that. Um, my number three pick um, is Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Um, surprisingly, you and I have not really talked about Lord of the Rings too much, um, except in reference to, I believe, our Game of Thrones episode. Uh, uh, you just hit my number one pick. Oh, wow. Yep. Okay, let me not steal your thunder. No, you can, but we can talk about it. So well, go for I'll it. just make it quick. Um, I really love The Fellowship of the Ring. I think it is something that does play to those ideas of family and fellowship. It's in the title. Um, it, it It is about... Um, it's about sort of your chosen family in, in some ways. And it's, it's just a grand adventure. 
It's an epic film. Um, it just takes you away to a different land. It's something that Nguyen and I, a, a lot of these films are things that just bring up back memories of Nguyen and my holidays of past. Uh, but it, we watched the whole trilogy over last Thanksgiving. So, um, yeah, I love Fellowship of the Ring. Now, it was your number one. So, uh, Well, the whole, the whole trilogy, I really, I loved these films. I mean, admittedly now looking at them, they are starting to look or have been starting to look a bit dated um, compared to what you can see now, although um, I just remember being really entranced by these. Um, and this is another one of those films that you see it on a lot uh, during the holiday season. And again, it's one of those films I will always stop to watch no matter how many times I've seen it. Um, I enjoy <laughs> the stories. I enjoy watching um, the the journey of Frodo, um, uh, you know, Gollum is like one of the most amazing characters ever. Um, it's just it to me. This is this is always like a holiday film, um, and it's also one of those things. At least like with my family and extended family, everybody loves it. So yeah, yeah. Except you for know, perhaps Bill. Bill may like uh, it a little bit, but it's not uh, like uh, no. You know how Bill is. Like he he likes it, but he doesn't like love it. <laughs> kind of like how he thought about. Um... Uh, so many things coming to mind. Orphan Black, Orphan Black. Yeah, um, you know he he likes it, but he doesn't want to admit it. So yeah. <laughs> so uh, good pick, Conrad. Um, so your number three was a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Yep. Um, that takes us to number two. My number two is kind of like your number five, where I don't think a lot of people would associate it with Thanksgiving. My number two is an episode of The Twilight Zone. Oh, now, cool. My brother and I used to love watching Twilight Zone marathons during the holidays, and I'm not, I are, don't remember. Are they still all on Netflix? Because I think that they were for a while, and it, and they still pretty much hold up. Oh, gosh, I hope they are, because um, if we do have any listeners uh, listening in right now, and you are less familiar with the original black and white Twilight Zone episodes, these are some of the fant- most fantastic short science fiction fantasy rock your world with thinking social commentary idea shows out there jj <laughs> um, abrams often talks about how much he was inspired to do all the stuff he does based on twilight zone and um it, they ho- you're totally right they hold up extremely well my episode um, and I, this is something i used to watch with my brother all the time when they had marathons on during the holidays what my probably one of my favorite episodes is time enough at last now many of you are probably familiar with the iconic image in this episode but this episode basically takes place around a man who loves to read and he is um he's sort of picked up picked upon a little bit by his wife and by his boss and finds himself um in a few circumstances where he is um he has a lot of time now to himself. <laughs> Let's just put it. Didn't leave you it at pick that. this as one of your other top fives in the past? Did I? I, uh, my, I think I you may have. have because I feel like you and I have talked. But maybe we talked about this just surrounding the Twilight Zone. That's entirely I, possible. I, we did, I did pick another episode of Twilight Zone for something. I can't remember what. Um, if only there was a way to search through our website. <laughs> if only. If only. <laughs> but anyway, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, it's. Uh, I, I don't want to give it away, but it, it plays on these themes of um, 
being grateful for having the people in your life who are there and being grateful for having the abilities that you have at this time in your life and not taking things for granted. Um, those are some of the things I, I took from that episode. And oh, see, I thought it was just making fun of nerdy people for wanting to read. Oh, oh no, that's not fair. It's, there was... Uh-huh. There was time uh-huh. now. Uh-huh. There was- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it, I'm just kidding. It does make fun of dirty people, too. Um, maybe that's how you perceived it, Conrad, because apparently you're the one between the two of us who actually reads. So I, I'm sure I can, I, I can see how you would uh, perceive it like yeah. that. Um, <laughs> but that is my number two. Uh, what is your number two? Um, my number two is Pleasantville. Oh, man, that's a great pick, too. Um, and again, another another family favorite um this it's just it was so well done um and it's it's a little bit wizard of oz when the color starts appearing with yeah, it yeah um but it's such a great exploration there it's really a great script um and don knots of course is incredible in it um as the crazy tv repairman Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got a great, it's got a fantastic cast, the cast. I it's, just have to mention Don Knotts cause I think he's fantastic. <laughs> um, but it's just, you know, it's one of those, those films that like my entire family will always, you know, pe- this is like sort of a, a favorite and it tends to be a favorite around the holidays. Like people will watch it like repeatedly. Um, and you always notice something new in it. You know, uh, one of my favorite people in the world, Lowen Baumgarten, friend of the show, he introduced me to this film probably about, oh, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. I, I missed it when it uh, originally came out. And I love this film a lot. I think the the explosion of color, the way it happens in the context of the story is really cool. Um, I like its... Uh, I like how it plays on some of the ideas about uh, this era and time that we've romanticized. And mm-hmm. since since Mad Men has come out, it's been less romanticized. But uh, but it, it is, it's very um, and there's you know there's even this this it's got such a great cast and um, one of one of like I think one of the, the weirdest but sort of funniest but not funny scenes is when uh the reese witherspoon character tries to go into the bathroom and there are no bathrooms really oh yeah yeah, yeah because yeah, you're, yeah. you're not they're not <laughs> supposed to like really exist in this world because that would just be unseemly and not perfect um <laughs> but it's it's interesting this came out in 98 which i guess in my head i didn't realize how long ago this came out and looking at the cast it's pretty impressive um, it's, it's a lot of people oh, yeah. that have gotten, got very big after this, uh, Toby McGuire, Jeff Daniels, Joan Allen, uh, William H. Macy, um, Reese Witherspoon, of course, Don Knotts and Paul Walker. Um, so it's, it's just a lot of, um, such a great cast, a great film. Um, and you know, it's, I think it's still. I think it still holds up. I, admittedly, I have not seen this for a couple of years now, but this is definitely that comes on a lot during the holidays. So that's that's my the last of my list. So I'm curious, what is your what is your number one? Well, your number one is Fellowship of or Lord of the Rings. Yeah, uh, it's all the films. So it's all the films. 
Um, okay, so originally we were going to make this uh, top five thanks uh, top five Thanksgiving Day films, and I asked you, Conrad, if we could change it because to, you because you like to bend the rules. I get it. So go. For I like it. to bend the rules, um, and I wanted to talk about an episode of Star Trek, so we changed it to top five things to watch on Thanksgiving, which is a to- total cheat for me. Um, any predictions on what episode of Star Trek I might pick? I have no idea. I, no I I feel like you're going to go all wibbly-wobbly with this one, so go for uh, it. It won't be too wibbly-wobbly. I mean, people might say, oh, you know, the best of both worlds or something like that. and Or you might go with um, a film, something like uh, The Voyage Home because they're coming home and that's Thanksgiving, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 that's not what I'm picking. What I am picking is Star Trek The Next Generation's Season 4, Episode 2, the episode after Best of Both Worlds, the episode called Family. Now, Conrad, yeah, I don't know if... I've seen this. Yeah, this is the episode where uh, Picard goes home to France. Mm-hmm. Um, he spends time with his brother. Worf's parents come home. Uh, or Worf's parents, I'm sorry, come on board the Enterprise. And Wesley Crusher is um, having to deal with uh, looking at this hologram message from his father who has passed away. Um, I really like this episode a lot. And I think it is one of the best Thanksgiving Day things to watch because you have Worf who is so not looking forward to seeing his parents it is so specifically his mother (laughs) yeah totally his mother drives him crazy oh yeah and so that theme which i think anyone um and everyone can relate to where at times your family is so annoying you you have that theme playing out you have the theme of jean-luc picard going home and he and his brother are just such different people and the conflict that that causes and the love that they have for each other, you know, not necessarily getting to choose who is in your family and how that plays out and how you love people and you can simultaneously be driven crazy by them. And then also the sense of loss that um, you have for family members who are no longer there and that plays out with Wesley Crusher. I think this is such a good episode of Star Trek, uh, period, and I think is such a perfect story to watch on um, Thanksgiving, I play. I think it plays on all these different ideas. That is my number one pick, Star Trek The Next Generation's Family. All right, I'll give it to you. I don't think that that was... You had me thinking it was going to be something super... Like you were prepping me for it to be something super weird. So... I what was like, I, I have no idea. I was like, what could it possibly be that he keeps like saying, no, it's going to be like some, I just have to fit this in. So I really, I was just like, what is it? The trouble with tribbles? What could it possibly be? <laughs> um, which I would also kind of understand because that, you know, they do a ton of Star Trek marathons on the sci-fi oh, channel yeah. and stuff around the holidays. So, oh, totally. Um, but anyway, uh, okay. Well, that totally makes sense. That's also one of my favorite uh, Star Trek episodes. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I really like that storyline, and you, and I feel like it was so interesting where they placed it. Um, yeah, and it's and it's always fun when you get to see Jean Luc on Earth. Oh yeah, yeah, and he's got such great moments there um, with his nephew, with his brother, um, and also when he talks about the trauma of right. being um, assimilated by the mm-hmm. Borg. Um, pfft, such a good episode of TNG, and um, an episode I look forward to watching uh, this weekend. I just uh, for those of you who catch this episode in time, 
the Star Trek Next Generation Blu-rays are on sale on Amazon. They're only 30 bucks. They usually go for 70 So uh, they're all remastered and redone. And that is my plug. <laughs> I was about to say, nice <laughs> plug. Nice <laughs> plug, Ali. So... Um, you had Star Wars and Harry Potter as honorable um, I had Star Wars, Harry Potter, um, also Doctor Who, because I tend to, you know, watch that, like, binge watch various different episodes. Um, the, the turkey holidays. will be exterminated. Well, like, especially, you know, when you're, when you're either cooking or, you know, often we put on something that we've watched a lot before just because, yeah, yeah. you know, you don't want to put something on you haven't seen necessarily because you're going to really pay attention to it. But, you know, if you're cleaning the house or or, you know prepping for the feast um you know you put up stuff that you know so you don't it's on the background but you don't have to pay attention to it but you can still enjoy it so you know what i like doing now i like watching uh when i'm doing stuff like that um i like putting on movies that i've seen so many times yeah, that you don't even and have then, to like well, but, but then also putting them on director's commentary if available oh um, that's kind of cool yeah, it's kind of cool because it's a little bit new, but a little bit different, and you're okay if you don't catch every line of it and yeah. stuff. So, um, uh, but you know, the other in terms of other films, I had Aliens, but that's been on our list so many times I couldn't put it in our list. <laughs> um, and I also had Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, again, oh, it's appeared pick. on my list before. So, so there's so that rounds it out. How about you? Other than Star Wars and Harry Potter, did you have any other honorable no, mentions? No, no, those are my honorable mentions. And the one other thing I would say is any episode, any Thanksgiving Day episode of Friends. Um, now, I know Friends has its problems. It's uh, it's very whitewashed or isn't a lot of diversity on that show. And uh, people don't really have apartments that ginormous in New York City. However, they have a ton of great Thanksgiving Day episodes. Um, definitely worth looking up if you are a fan of the show. All right. Well, um, I never thought you probably never thought I would mention Friends on the Super. I honestly Star. really didn't. I'm a little bit shocked <laughs> right now, but okay. Um, but it's it's all good. It's all good. I, you know, that's the thing. You just don't know what's going to sort of sort of fit in with that nostalgia. For the holidays, but but I say whatever whatever it is for you. If it's zombie films, go for that. If it's friends, go for that. Go for that. Um, but I know, lo- no matter I'm- what happens, Conrad, I'll be there. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, Conrad, what are we talking about next week? Sorry, I just couldn't. I couldn't, Ollie. I just couldn't. It's okay. It's it's it's. Uh, it's okay. I could have accepted the Mockingjay whistle from you. But but not that, not that. <laughs> but not the theme defense. I just can't, I can't. Um, no, sorry, what I was going to say is that I would love to hear what other people's lists are. Oh, I really want to hear uh, other people's thoughts. I always want to hear from from listeners, but I, al- I especially want to hear the top five Thanksgiving things to watch. Yes, um, especially from, so- from Randy, Justin Weathersby, and Alan Bailward. Yes, please, please do send us. Uh, <laughs> please do send us your list, um, so we can watch more stuff. And um, Conrad, what are we talking about? We're we're coming. The countdown has begun to our fiftieth episode. Um, what are we doing on uh, episode forty six? Uh, on episode forty six, we are actually going to be discussing a book. A book. Look at that. Oliva too read a book. It's a somewhat thin book, but it is a book. It's a book, yes. It's thin, um, and I did read it. Did you read it or did you listen to it? Hey, hey, hey! Ah! Let's not give away 
let's not give away the episode till we get to it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Um, but in any case, we'll be discussing <laughs> the Martian. Um, so for for those of you who are not familiar with this, this is a book um, that actually was um, self published on Amazon, and um, it did so well on there. Um, I believe uh, Bill Bill recommended it to me. Um, and it's by Andy Ware, by the way. Um, and at the time it was, you could get it for like 99 cents. So it was self-published. He put it out there and it was so popular that they actually optioned it for a film, uh, took it down for a bit cause people bought the rights to it. Um, and now it is back up on Amazon. Um, so you can download it or buy it. Um, but it is, uh, currently the Kindle price is now almost $9. So, so it looks like Andy Ware's doing pretty well and, and I'm, I'm happy for him on that point. So, so um, we'll be we'll be bookending the, our first year of Super Fantastic uh, Nerd Hour with a book we covered, Ready Player One, and now we'll be covering The Martian. So, you listeners have a week to finish and read this book, start and finish it, which and, you could probably do. Yes, you can definitely do it. You can do it yeah. with this one. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so I'm super excited to talk about this with you. So, Conrad, until then, um, how can people find you on the Internet this week? Uh, well, on the Internet this week, if you're interested in listening to my pithy review uh, with Stuart Tiffin of uh, Gallo Walkers, <laughs> um, <laughs> they, we're on Reanimated, which is reanimatedpodcast.com. Uh, on Twitter, we're reanima- reanimatedpcast. Um, or on Twitter, I'm d- at Die Prince. And Ali, where can people find you in your many different homes on the web? Uh, there are many homes, and uh, my biggest home is on Twitter. Uh, I'm quite a chatty Cathy, at Alima2. Um, you can also find me on my other home, which is uh, Brain Knows Better, where I talk about the psychology of science fiction. And you're hearing it first. Um, I will be doing a uh, Nerd Night talk on uh, this, uh, not this Friday, which is Thanksgiving, but Friday December 5th, um, Friday of next week. So if you're in New York City, um, check out nerdnight.com for details. I'm going to be giving a fun talk on why nerds rage. We will be talking all things uh, psychology of nerd rage. So come and hang out and say hi. Awesome. All right. Well, have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Oh, oh, and then uh, at Nerd Hour on Twitter, superfantasticnerdhour.com. <laughs> oh, wait, uh, wait. Did you forget the most important part? <laughs> nice. Also, uh, email us, info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Um, plug sub protocol complete. Nice. Nice. Well, now I can say I hope everybody has a happy Thanksgiving um, in whatever, you know, sort of feast Away type thing it. It, it it happens go for it um and so that is it so until next time live long and prosper indeed and gobble gobble gobble